Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, happy holidays to everyone. And in all 17 countries listening to the show, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, I'm telling you, I'm always amazed the amount of people listening in Ireland. So thank you, Ireland. A special thanks to Yoshiko Dart, the wife of the greatest disability rights leader of all time, Yoshiko. Happy holidays. And I have to thank David Holmberg and Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield for once again being the lead sponsor of Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Now, I have to tell you that with our guest today, I was thinking about this, and I feel like uh, minor league material because here I am talking to one of the kings of radio, most well-known, loved by so many, won numerous awards, Jack Bogut. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joyce. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, you know 17 like I'm... countries, uh, I, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> Not you. You'll never get nervous. Like, <laughs> he, is, he is the king of radio. And, you know, every year at this Christmas season, I just can't help but think about him and KDKA and just all the great stuff. Um, that all of you did. I'm telling you, it's as if it were yesterday. I'm riding in my car in the morning, KDK, listening to Jack Bogut. So to me, it is an honor to have you on the show, a true honor. Well, and, Joyce, it's an, it, it's an honor for me, too, because you do so much good for so many people around the world that uh, this is really a treat. Well, thank you so much. And, hey, many of you listeners, since you all know I am headquartered right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that's why I really got to enjoy so much of Jack Bogut's gift, although throughout the United States, so many places won an awards. But what a lot of people do not know is that he grew up in fly fishing country, which, by the way, I go every year Uh, over Labor Day, to Yellowstone National Park with a group of my friends fly fishing. Oh, boy. Oh, no way to describe Paradise Valley other than Paradise Valley. I mean, just so beautiful it is out there. But you got to experience that frequently since that is where you grew up. Yes, born and raised in Montana, uh, born in Wolf Point in extreme eastern Montana, lived up along the High Line, which is uh, north-central Montana, very close to the Canadian border, and then ultimately settled down where you go fishing, uh, lived in Dillon, but uh, worked in Bozeman. Yeah, that's probably where you fly in, right? Yep, yes, I yep. do. And, and, then, and then you go to Livingston and up to Paradise Valley, mm-hmm. and... Uh, one of the reasons it is so special out there is that uh, there aren't very many people. Right. Yes, that's right. That uh, just, is so uh, you true. know, a, a quick thing in Montana, that's the third largest state in the contiguous 48, and there are less than a million people in the whole state. Wow. 
Yeah, so I that gives you that, that gives you elbow room when you're fishing. Yes. That is true. It definitely gives you elbow room. And then you have the beautiful Yellowstone National Park. And it always amazes me how tourists cannot read. They cannot read signs. Please do not approach the animals. Please stay away from the wildlife. And then you see people wondering, oh, my God, why is that that cow, otherwise known as a bison, that weighs over 2,000 pounds running after those people 100 miles an hour? That is always amazing to me. But it is from the fishing to the mountains to the wildlife, absolutely. I can't imagine growing up there. I can't imagine how wonderful that was for you. How did you first get involved in radio? And something I always ask a lot of people is like, that takes really courage to want to do this. I just taught a class this morning of high school students with disabilities. And one of the things they did is they all stood up and they gave a little speech. And I told them, hey, there are people in corporate America that can't get up and give a speech. Um, so what? number one, what made you decide to do this? And, you know, what gave you the courage to be able to go through all this to become the star that you are today? Well, uh, first of all, on the farm, uh, you know, we worked and, and, uh, and had a lot of solitude, uh, quiet time. And every once in a while, uh, the Ladies' Aid Society after church uh, would would auction off pies and cakes and uh, you know handmade uh, pot holders and things like that. And they needed an auctioneer, and I didn't know enough to say no. And none of the guys would do it. Certainly, the older children, because everybody was uh, terminally shy. And and that's where I got my start, standing up in front of a, a group of people and saying a few words. And then, uh, because we didn't have television, Joyce, we used to listen to the radio when they had dramas and storytelling on radio. And, uh, uh, you know, we listened, used to listen to a station in Billings, Montana, which was in, in many ways like KDKA. It got out all over the country. And uh, the announcer at the end of the program would say, uh, NBC for the Midland Empire, KGHL Radio, and Billings. And I heard that time after time and thought, uh, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be able to uh, do that out loud and have it pump through a radio station? And little did I know that years later I would go to work at that very radio station, and I can't tell you how proud I was to open that microphone for the first time and say, NBC for the Midland Empire, KGHL Radio, Billings. And that was that was really the start of it all. How amazing that it was that station that you listened to. Wow, that is something. I'm well, sure that let, was... Let me just continue this story a little bit, and, and I'll show you where it goes. Uh, the station was purchased by a company out of Salt Lake City that owned the Intermountain Radio Network. And uh, they were an ABC station, and they broadcast up and down the mountain network from Mexico to Canada. And there was a wonderful manager uh, named Pete Peterson, and uh, one day I stopped in to see, see if he would take us to lunch, and Pete said, uh, well, Bogart, he said, uh, how would you like to work New Year's Eve? I said, doing what? And he said, uh, you know, how would you like to host uh, 
the network broadcast, and, uh, you know, you'll be high atop the Hotel Utah with this band. And I said, okay, thinking that it was going to be from Mexico to Canada, right? And he said, uh, and, of course, it'll be Guy Lombardo, and uh, the ball drops in New I said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Are you talking about the ABC radio network? He said, absolutely. So I said, wow. okay. So I got together with the band, and we picked the tunes went up and uh, checked out the sound system at the Hotel Utah. And we showed up on New Year's Eve at 11 o'clock, and it was Guy Lombardo in New York City and I think uh, another big band, Harry James or somebody, in Chicago. And then they threw it to Jack Bogart in Salt Lake City for the the Intermountain Radio Network and, uh, you know, the Mountain Time Zone. So I got to tell you, Joyce. In all humility, I was fantastic. I didn't <laughs> miss a I didn't miss a word. The band was superb, and I told the audience, I said, "Look, Salt Lake City and the Mormons have uh, you know a reputation of being rather conservative. So when I raise my arm, I want this to sound like Sodom and Gomorrah on a good night." And the audience went nuts after every song. Got right to the end. Got right to the end. And said, now stay tuned for Duke Ellington and his orchestra in Los Angeles on most of these NBC stations. Uh oh. NBC, you gotta be. And, and on the way home, Joni, my wife, said, Bogey, she said, uh, it, you, it looked like you were having such a good time. And then this expression came over your face. What happened up there? And I said, I guess I just remembered all those years that I heard NBC for the Midland Empire. And I told her the story, and and she looked out the window and wouldn't look at me, but I could see her shoulders shaking because she was laughing. Now, what what happened to you from doing that? The next day I went into Pete Peterson's office, and instead of going in and flopping down on his couch and asking him to buy lunch, I walked in and stood in front of his desk like an errant schoolboy, and he said, Bogan, what are you doing in here? What are you standing in front of my desk like that for? So I told him what happened, and he pushed his glasses down on the bridge of his nose, and he looked at me, and he said, you said what? And so I repeated it again, and, and he just laughed, and I said, Pete, aren't you angry with me? He said, oh, Bogan, he said, you're a talented young guy. You're going to go far in this business. But that's one of the dumbest things I ever heard in my life. He says, get out of here. He said, will you? He says, I know some people at, uh, at ABC. I got a call and tell them what happened in, in case he missed it. He sent NBC a bill for a promotional announcement on ABC oh. and, and, and signed my name to it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my yeah. goodness. Well, that is... That is pretty good. And you know what? That was also obvious that he could see the talent that you had. Well, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, uh, life has been kind to me because it's been one opportunity after another that brought me to Pittsburgh. uh, Boy, uh, next April 1st, it'll be 50 years ago. Can you believe that? Wow. Next April 1st. Well, that's a good question. How did you get here? Yep. So that you know that that's kind of a long story, but uh, you know, we love your stories. Go ahead. 
So, Jack, how did you get here to Pittsburgh? Oh, uh, well, another quick story. Uh, uh, you know, life is, well, all of us are storytellers, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, because uh, we relate what happened to friends and family, and uh, storytelling is the most effective means of communication, I think. But uh, just, to, just to show you, now you are the spirit uh, of uh, this next story that I'm going to tell you. Every once in a while, you have to do something for the good of the business that you're in or the good of the community. I mean, that's, that's just the way I was raised, and obviously that, that's, that's your life story right there. So in Salt Lake City, the National Association of Broadcasters had a convention there, and uh, one of the local advertising agency executives came to me and he said, Jack, he said, we would like to do a tape recording uh, representative of all the radio stations in the market, and I uh, just wonder if you would uh, write it and voice it and put it all together. I said, well, uh, the answer two questions for me. Is there any money in it, and have you been to everybody else in town and turned down? He said, well, the answers are no and yes. <laughs> so I thought... You know, I'm not doing anything, and uh, it's kind of nice to have this big national convention here in town. So I put together a tape uh, of all of the radio stations in, in town, and the next thing I know, uh, during the convention, uh, the station manager came in, and he said, uh, Jack, I want to introduce you to this guy. And he said, uh, he's the national program manager for Westinghouse Broadcasting, and he heard your tape and uh, liked it and wanted to meet the guy that made it. So we said hello. I was doing an afternoon show. We said hello, and I said, welcome to Salt Lake City. Hope you have a good time, and went back to spinning records. Little did I know that he stayed in town an extra day so that he could listen to my entire show and then offered me a job, and I came to Pittsburgh uh, mainly because I decided <laughs> that I ought to do something simply because it needed to be done as opposed to doing it just for the money. Wow, what a great... Well, I wish everyone would feel like that. Well, we're, we're, we are really lucky you made that decision uh, to come here. You know, sometimes people do the right thing for the right reason, and it's amazing the things that can happen for them. Uh, and what a change you made coming here. Now, I have to tell you something, Jack. I have no words to tell you how many customers I've talked to at not-for-profits. And I'll say, I know, I know how you could start raising money. Why don't you do that thing they used to do in front of uh, Gimbals and Horn? Remember that thing for Children's Hospital? Why don't you do that? Remember, Remember the Farkleberry? And this had like such an impact on me. I watched it every year. On KDK, I would I would watch it. I would watch the people coming up and you know giving ten dollars and then giving one hundred thousand dollars. It just really always amazed me. Um, so it's still in my mind the Frankel Farkleberry tart. So I know this is going to be a great story, which I want all of our listeners, including those around the world, to hear about the Farkleberry tart. <laughs> Every morning, uh, I used to play a march so that the kids, when they were getting ready for school and having their breakfast, so that the kids could march around the breakfast table. 
and get it get everybody moving at the same time so so that mom would get her stuff done etc and so i used to call it the start your heart march reach out put one hand on the radio feel the vibrations go up your arm and tickle your ticker or whatever it was and that was the start your heart well uh a guy a guy sent me a column out of the Denver Post about a Farkleberry Bush Festival in North Dakota, which I thought was really, really funny because coming from Montana, uh, North Dakota and Montana used to trade jokes about each other. And uh, we always used to joke that uh, North Dakota was so flat and had no vegetation at all so that the state tree was a telephone post. So to have a Farkleberry Bush Festival in North Dakota, I thought, was hilarious. So I talked about this, and uh, because we were doing stream of consciousness radio, I had no idea what we were going to do from one day to the next, and you just rose to the occasion. Uh, I started the march one, one morning, and I said, Hey, it's time to start your heart. Eat a Farkleberry tart and tear the world apart. And the guys in the engineering booth looked at me and said, do you realize how close you were to verbal disaster there when you said <laughs> Farkleberry Tart? And so we laughed about it, but uh, the term Farkleberry Tart stuck, and we were doing a, a, a children's hospital broadcast from the Joseph Horn Company window downtown, and uh, a good friend of mine was a guy named Jim Delegati. Jim owned... Uh, about 40 McDonald's restaurants here in western Pennsylvania, and he was the one who invented uh, the Big Mac. Wow. So I, you know, I knew Jim, and he was a big supporter of Children's Hospital and local charities, and I said, Jim, I seem to have started something here by accident. Uh, we're talking about a Farkleberry tart. Could you make something, and we'll sell it for a dollar for Children's Hospital? And he said, yeah. Yeah, what is it? Said I don't know. So he made a little cookie, and I said, put some red coloring in it, and uh, we'll call them Farkleberries. So he did, and we started selling Farkleberry tarts uh, for a dollar, and we raised thousands and thousands of dollars for Children's Hospital. And then because uh, Farkleberry tart was so close to verbal disaster, disaster, it seemed like a good idea to ask the audience to say it very quickly and see if they could commit verbal disaster on the air, but it, you know, it would get us fired. But if somebody, if somebody in the audience did it, why, uh, no foul, right? So we would invite people to the microphone in front of the window and uh, they could buy one second of airtime for $100, maximum five seconds. And they would have to put the money in the barrel first, and then they would have an opportunity to say, start your heart, eat a Farkleberry tart, and tear the world apart. Uh -oh. so, so a lady showed up uh, with an entourage. And nobody, nobody was ever able to say that because I was the one that kept the time clock, right? And no matter how fast they were, I'd always say, oops, sorry, you didn't quite make it, and we got the money for Children's Hospital. <laughs> so the, the audience knew what I was doing. I was bilking them out of their money, but we were having so much fun at this. So this lady shows up, 
And she said, uh, Jack, she said, I'm from the Derry Area School District. And I said, Derry Area, yeah, that's fairly close to Pittsburgh. I said, I've heard something about your school district. Do you have a, a chorus or a choir out there? And she said, yes, we do. And I said, would you tell our audience the name of that choir? And she says, yes, they are the Derry Errors. Oh. So I just looked at her. And I said, <laughs> after, after, after that, you still want to say, she said, yes, I do. And I brought $500, okay, and I also brought a timekeeper. Oh, oh, now she's got me. Now oh. she's got me, right? And she said, I want to win that prize, which was an after-dinner set from the uh, Joseph Horn Company. So I said, all right, uh, you've got five seconds. And she said, yes, and I have a, uh, my own timekeeper. I said, okay. Uh, here's what you have to say. Start your heart, eat a farkleberry tart, and tear the world apart in Swahili. <laughs> and she looked me straight in the eye, Joyce, and she said, fine. Whoa, wait a minute. Fine? I've just put an impossible set of terms on, on the... Okay, fine. And her, her timekeeper hit the stopwatch, and she said, quote, Start your heart in a farkleberry tart and tear the world apart in Swahili. <laughs> so now, now she has really nailed me, and everybody standing outside of the window just laughing and howling because they knew that truly I'd been had. And she said, now I want my prize. And I said, you mean the after-dinner set from the Joseph Horn Company? And she said, yes. So I gave her a box of toothpicks. <gasps> And that's the way it went in front of the window, time after time after time. We had so much fun putting each other on. I mean, it was, it was just a big party. And I will never forget, forget people would show up, uh, busloads of kids would show up from various school, school districts, all the way from Erie, Pennsylvania, down into West Virginia. Busloads of kids would show up with band members, and they would play... Christmas carols in front of the window, and uh, some some of the musicians would have to hold their instruments, the valves in their instruments, in the exhaust on the bus to warm them up to the point where they could play because it was so cold outside. Wow! But it was the best time. It was. It was magnificent. It was really what Pittsburgh's all about. You know that it was. I, even I think of that, I have such warm memories. They, I talk about it all the time because uh, it, it just stayed with me. I would watch it be on TV watching that, and I think, oh, and just as you said, it was always joking, having a good time, but it also was raising a lot of money for kids that needed help. And I think I'm not sure you told me about that. Didn't you start with um, Make-A-Wish or something? Yes. Yeah, when, when I left KDKA doing the morning show after 15 years, you know, I wanted to keep doing something. And uh, a woman approached uh, the radio station at which I was working and said, uh, we would like to start a, a broadcast for children for uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, somewhat along, along the lines of uh, the children's hospital broadcast. Would that be possible? And, uh, you know, we said, sure. So we, we started doing that. And 
You know, the Make-A-Wish kids, uh, in most cases, went through Children's Hospital because that, that's where they, they got their treatment. And Make-A-Wish is uh, for children 18 years of age and younger with a life-threatening illness, not a terminal illness necessarily, but a life-threatening illness. And it, it had just as much heart to it as the Children's Hospital cam- campaign uh, did when I was on, on KDKA. It was... Joyce, it was just magical. Uh, you know, the whole thing, it made us much, much better broadcasters. And it, it was such an eye-opener to see the generosity and the tongue-in-cheek attitude about uh, the whole thing of the audience. You know, people would go out and, and collect money and come down and drop it in the collection barrel time after time. And it was... Well, if you think about it, we used to joke at KDKA, hey, how about this for a really stupid, unworkable idea? You're the program manager, and I'm coming in with this with this idea. Hey, what we'd like to do is we would like to go into a department store window and invite people to stomp, stop by, and uh, we may or may not play any music, and uh, we would interview people and we would ask them the same questions time after time. They would give essentially the same answers time after time, and the whole thing will be a giant Christmas card that that you will, will listen to by the hour. What a dumb idea. But because everybody was different, and they represented mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and people at school in various school districts and neighborhoods all over, each one of those contributions and narrations was absolutely unique and the audience never quit listening for a minute it was just a magical time oh it was there it was now in all your time standing there in the uh, at horns at that window tell me what what memory what stands out most to you just uh, the the sheer generosity and sense of humor of, of people, uh, you know, when when Joni and the kids and I moved to Pittsburgh, I loved this city so much. I I can't tell you because it was it was everything I thought it was not. I kind of assumed that uh, Pittsburgh, being an eastern city, would be the same as Philadelphia and New York City. You know, the, the, the legendary for. A lot of traffic and confusion, and uh, people not being quite as friendly as they were in the Midwest. Uh, That that was just totally wrong in Pittsburgh. And uh, when when we got here, I was I was just so impressed with everything that I couldn't I couldn't praise it enough. Then I got to thinking, you know what? Anytime somebody does something too much, it gets boring after a while. I cannot keep praising Pittsburgh. I've got to hate something, got to dislike something. So I chose as my favorite thing to dislike rutabagas. And I put them down all the <laughs> You ever eat a rutabaga salad? That is filet of sewer. I mean, that's one of the... That's one of the worst things you can put in your mouth. You know, who in the world... that People eat rutabagas around here. Boy, not me. Well, then that became a kind of a standing joke. So a lady showed up in front of Kaufman's window downtown one morning, and she waved at me, 
and I waved back, and she put a plain brown paper bag on top of the collection box. And I said, uh, oh, is, is that for Children's Hospital? She shook her head. I said, well, what is it? And she mouthed the words, I'm not going to tell you. Well, then, she has stuck me with something that I can't identify, right? So the audience thinks this is a little bit funny. So I asked somebody to pull up along the curb and take whatever was in that brown paper bag out so I could see it. So a guy pulled up and uh, reached inside the bag, and here is a great big purple and off-white rutabaga. Uh Now the Uh joke is on me, right? So I said, sir, I know what that is. He laughed, and, you know, people are walking up and down the street listening to radios, and they're laughing. I said, would you take that ugly thing out of here? And he shook his head. No. And he put it back on the collection barrel. Well, now I can't get rid of it. Nobody will take it because the joke is on me. Well, if you can't sell it, or if you can't get rid of it, sell it. So then I offered to auction off this rutabaga. Oh, my and, goodness. How you and, turn things around is amazing to me. <laughs> so uh, ultimately, to make uh, a rather long story short, the rutabaga was purchased for $5,000 by Western Pennsylvania National Bank then, and they had it bronzed and put in their lobby. No. Yes. So, uh, you know, it, it was just one thing after another after another. And, uh, you know, with the Farkleberries, uh, we had Farkleberry tarts. And then, what are you going to do the next year, Jim Delegati asked. I said, oh, I don't know, Farkleberry, we've got to do something, Farkleberry. How about Farkleberry snickerdoodles? Okay. So he made another kind of a cookie in a slightly different shape, and we called him Farkleberry Snickerdoodles. And then one year we had Farkleberry Brew. And then a lady stopped by and she said, you know, one of the favorite things around our house is kind of a mixed-up cake called a frump. Why don't you call? Why don't you have Farkleberry Frump next year? So Jim Delegati and the folks at McDonald's made Farkleberry Frump. And then a chorus from uh, Beaver Valley came down and uh, the band director actually wrote a song and the choir sang it and it went Barkleberry from, 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 from. And Joyce, it went on every single year like that. You never knew who was putting on whom or what was going on, but the collection just uh, went up and up and up and up. And then I'll finish this story with with this one. About probably five or six years ago, I got a letter from a guy in California. And uh, he said, in essence, Jack, when you were doing the children's hospital campaign, I went out and like so many other young people, I collected money for children's hospital. He said, I collected about $300 and I spent it on myself. I never turned it in. He said, I felt guilty about it all these years. And he said, I'm a very successful business owner now. And he said, I figure that $300 that I collected at interest for all of these years is about $10,000.
He said, I would really appreciate it if you would pass this along to Children's Hospital without my name. <laughs> wow. So I told him, I told him that, uh, you know, I called him and talked to him on the phone, and I said, I will keep your name a secret, but I will pass the check along because it was a cashier's check. And uh, I was working for WJAS Radio, part of Renda Broadcasting then, and uh, I went to our owner and I said, you know, I could turn this in to Children's Hospital, but it really, it really happened uh, when I was on KDKA. I would like to go to KD and turn it in through them. And our station owner, Tony, Ren- Tony Renda, said, uh, absolutely. He said that would only be fair. So I called the station manager and... Uh, he arranged the time, and we went, we went down during the Children's Hospital broadcast uh, from PPG Place, and I gave him the $10,000 and told the story. And it just shows you what magic that whole campaign really offered to the community. Yes, and you know what? That is the way to describe it, magic. And you know what? I'll never forget it, ever, as long as I live. I mean, that to me was the most wonderful thing. And look at all the great stories. I mean, wow. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? What a event this became and how everyone loved it and became so involved in it. And there's only one thing I regret. You know what that is? I did go down there and give money, but somehow I missed getting the Farkleberry tart. So there <laughs> is a woman that actually every year... We have a young man that works, uh, that we found employment for at Highmark with Down syndrome. And he works in the mail, worked in the mail center, and since then kept getting moved up. And he's been there about eight or nine years. Um, and we recently had an event. Uh, my my uh, company, we had a holiday party uh, where we raised money for Variety, the children's charity. And of course, you know, it's a half and half. So, uh, this year came up to $1,000. So the lucky winning ticket was going to get $500 to take home. Well, when you know, it was Justin. And here's what's more amazing. This has happened to him two different times. And you know what? I tried to, okay, that's good. Tried to get him moving because I was afraid he would do what he did before. And sure enough, he turned around and he said, I want to give it back. I said, Justin. You won this. He said, you know what? I I never got to help people. I want to. Well, his mother, every year, brings in these delicious cherry pastries that we call tarts. When you know she brought them in today, I said, that's it. Jack Bogut's on. So from now, we're going to call these Farkleberry tarts because I didn't get to have one. So they are now ordained by me that they will be called Farkleberry Tarts. <laughs> but you isn't know that, that a that, great story about him, too? Yep, that, that's a great story. <clears throat> yeah, when we were doing the Make-A-Wish broadcast, uh, Joyce, we, uh, we did it at various locations in downtown town Pittsburgh. And uh, one morning, a very well-dressed woman, uh, expensively dressed, and a not expensively dressed woman came by and just stood outside the circle of light, kind of watching what was going on. So, 
you know, I walked over and uh, said, you know, how are you doing? Just fine. Said, uh, what, what are you folks doing down here today? Uh, would you like to say something to somebody? He said, oh, no. No, we just brought down a, a contribution, and uh, uh, we'd like to give it to you. And I said, well, no, if you have a contribution, let's talk on the air a little bit. And at the very least, you can wish somebody a Merry Christmas. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I said, well, who are you? And the one woman was a doctor, and uh, uh, the other woman was a waitress, and they were sisters. And uh, so, you know, I kind of put my arm around their shoulders and, and brought them into the, the spotlight and said, wait a minute, you, you've got to tell your story. Well, okay. How much money do you have? He said, well, we have uh, $500. It's not a lot. And I said, hey, that, that's a big contribution. They said, how did you get it? And said, well... This is kind of an odd story, but our dad plays the lottery all the time, and he then, you know, he he watches at seven o'clock for the lottery the numbers to be drawn and checks his ticket and everything. And uh, he was sitting at home the other night and uh, had his lo- his lottery ticket and uh, evidently watched the news and and he sat there and he just passed away. Oh. And they said, and uh, you know, the doctor said it was very peaceful. There was no sign of any kind of a struggle or anything. He just sat there in a chair watching the news, and he passed away. Oh and we thought, we thought that giving the money to make a wish would be the right thing to do, and they did. And it was, it was such a wonderful moment, and uh, they were reluctant to share it. But when they did, you know, again, people told me that they just had to pull off to the side of the road when they listened to that story. And it just put everything in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it does. It does. That is some story. Well, well before, and, uh, you be, know, the, be, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, the, the stories of, of the Make-A-Wish Foundation are, they're, they're just incredible stories. Uh, <laughs> there, there was a young lady named uh, Megan Welsh. Uh, if she happens to be listening right now, Megan, I love you. I have to tell your story. <laughs> Megan Welsh, for her wish, wanted to meet the President of the United States. And uh, so the Make-A-Wish Foundation pulled all the political strings they could, and they arranged for Megan and her mother to go to Washington, D.C., and uh, they arranged for them to stay in a hotel close to the White House, and then they would be put in a tour at the White House, and uh, they would be able to, to, to go close to the Oval Office, but they weren't, weren't sure that uh, Megan was going to be able to meet the president. But Megan said that was just fine. So they went to the hotel, and Megan was so impressed because they put candy on the pillow. And they got up the next morning, went to the White House, and were put in a tour. And about halfway through the tour, Megan and her mother, Joy, were taken out of the entourage and taken into a small waiting room. Then somebody came into the waiting room and took them into the Oval Office. And there was President George H.W. Bush standing behind the desk in the Oval Office, and he greeted Joy uh, and, and, and her daughter Megan by name. And <laughs> so they had their picture taken, and uh, it was all extremely nice. And then Megan said, Mr. President, I have a gift for you, and I would like for you to open it right here. 
And so President Bush uh, took this gift, and he opened it right there on the desk in the Oval Office. And inside was an I Met Megan Welsh T-shirt. Oh! (laughs) And, and, And he said... He said that uh, he would certainly wear it at some point in time. He didn't know exactly when, but he would wear it as an undershirt when he had to dress up in a shirt and tie. And and uh, Joy uh, said that she and Megan watched uh, news conferences after that to see if they could if they could detect any letters under his white shirt, and they never did. But <laughs> oh my goodness! You know what? He is a great man. He really no is. No question. He is a great man, and his family is so dedicated, you know, to people with disabilities. That that whole story does not surprise me. But listen, before we get going on here too long, because I do not want the show to end without talking about your books on Amazon and about your Facebook and StorytellerJack.com. So let's start with the books. You have written... How many books, and how do you purchase them? Well, uh, I've written a book called uh, Big Sky Cafe and Other Schools I Have Attended, because uh, Big Sky Cafe in Dillon, Montana, was where uh, an awful lot of us uh, went before, during, and after after whatever whatever was going on. And this was where we learned a lot about society, the non-academic stuff that... Uh, that allows you to survive and prosper in the real world, right? And uh, that book is still available. Uh, there are limited copies available on Amazon.com. And uh, then a good many of the stories uh, out of that book and uh, quite a few stories after that I have put together on some CDs. I have five storytelling CDs uh, with uh, original music by my friend Vito DeSalvo, and those have been selling extremely well, particularly during the holidays. And and there's a there's one story. Uh, I think you know what it is, Joyce. Uh, it it's a special Christmas story uh, called "Past Present Accounted For." Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I gave uh, one of your constituents, uh, yeah. Lee, uh, uh, a copy yes, of "Past Present right. Accounted For" here. Right. I think it was last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it... Which is it, a treasure it, to him. Yep, yeah, well, uh, it it was so much fun writing it. And then to uh, have Vito DeSalvo put original music with it uh, just brought the the whole thing to life. And, you know, it's it's kind of a mental movie about six young people who were in high school and uh, one Christmas Eve, the guys got tired of singing carols and... Uh, they they wanted to go somewhere and do something for themselves, so they decided to take off and go to another town and uh, roar around and have some fun. And on the way home, they got involved in some stuff that they simply could not explain. Some things happened to them uh, that were were just beyond description, and uh, it. We, I think we have about 10 minutes left here, and I couldn't scratch the surface of the story. It's about 90 minutes long, but uh, there has been some talk. We, we're, we aren't really going anywhere with it right now, but there's been some talk about making this into a, a uh, Christmas Hallmark movie. So we'll, 
we'll see where that goes. But uh, it was it was great fun to do that, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a a mystery Christmas story that all comes together at the end. All right, now do you go? to Amazon to get that, or do you go to your Facebook page or both? No, uh, go to uh, my website, StorytellerJack.com. StorytellerJack.com is where you can purchase this CD you're talking about. Yes. What about those other books? Are they there also, or are they only on Amazon? Uh, No, uh, I only have the one book. I'm I'm working on, on, on another Amazon. one. Yeah, Big Sky Cafe is the only book I have, but uh, the CDs are available at StorytellerJack.com. You know what? That is a great holiday present. For example, oh, I better not say. Well, I can't say because it's going to be a gift for someone. <laughs> But let me just say, it will be a gift for someone. How about that? Okay. Um, that, that is a great Christmas gift, really. Um, I got to tell you, this man is so great, and his stories are so great that I hope you will all go to StorytellerJack.com uh, and purchase those CDs. And, and what else? How do they follow you? Do they follow you on that page or on Facebook or what? How do they follow you? Yes, I have a blog that I change probably every month or so, uh, and I've got one. I've got a special Christmas story posted on uh, on my blog, uh, b- but uh, I've got a link, a link on the Facebook page, uh, just Jack Bogut on Facebook, and uh, uh, I've got about five thousand friends there. Can't can't take any more, but uh, uh, you know there, there's a link to my web page and. Uh, the blog that, that I post about every month. Okay. And so, but storytellerjack.com, they can pretty much find everything, correct? Storytellerjack.com. Right. Yep, okay. they can. So um, what, what message do you want to leave with our listeners today? I think everything considered, uh, in fact, I'm I'm working on a story now with with this same title. I, Joyce, I am a big believer in the eleventh commandment: "Thou shalt not take thyself too seriously." Oh, that's a good one. That's well, a good commandment. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it's when we take ourselves very very seriously and and can't apply a sense of humor and step over it and drive on that uh, we really kind of wallow around and stuff and. Uh, you know, that creates depression or problems or resentment or anger. And life is a bit too short. So, you know, I, I just try to apply the principle, thou shalt not take thyself too seriously. Oh, I wish everyone would take that quote so seriously. Uh-huh. Hey, it, Wouldn't it, that be great? As you know, it's not always easy to do that. Sometimes you have to talk to, talk to yourself like a Dutch uncle, but... Uh, it, it's always good advice, and if we can just find some way to share laughter with each other and, uh, you know, overlook our differences and, and concentrate on the things that bring us together, uh, you know, it's a lot easier if you, can just, uh, if you can just apply that 11th commandment. Yeah, 
But as you said, we, we need we need to do that. We need to do that over this holiday season. And you know what? I didn't ask you. What are you doing now? Well, uh, I'm I'm doing 90 second features five times uh, a day on KDKA in Pittsburgh, and uh, you know I'm uh, recording more stories all the time. I'm working on a on a book, actually a novel, and. Uh, uh, it, it it's been kind of slow, but I'm making a, a little more progress on this all the time. But the main thing is that uh, I want to share stories, and I want people to be able to share stories with me too, because uh, that is the essence of communication, isn't it? If we can just illustrate what we mean to pass along in uh, in a story. Well, uh, let me give you a real quick one. A friend of mine and I were looking at a couple of businesses many years ago, and uh, this guy always had a twinkle in his eye, and he said to me, he said, you know, I found a business. He said, I think it would be a great business for us to get into, but he said, I think the name of the product, which they will not change, the name of the product is just wrong because it will offend some people. And I said, well, well, what, what is the product? And he said, we would import dairy products from Israel. And I said, well, what, what's the name that they want to use? And he said, cheeses of Nazareth. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> terrible? Oh, yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, well, that is a good story to leave us with, Jack. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me say this before you go. You uh, are a gift to so many of us throughout the world. I'm just so glad we can hear you again. Tell my listeners again, KDKA, when and what time? Okay, KDKA uh, at 10 minutes until 5, at uh, 5.20 in the afternoon, at 9.20 at night, and I... You know, I think I missed one. Uh, I think there's another one at like 10.30 in the morning. I'm not sure about that one. But uh, they're on five times a day, uh, Monday through Friday. And, uh, you know, it's it just really wonderful. After, after 15 years on KDKA and then being gone 32 years, it was really nice to go back home again. So I guess there's something to be said for, for not burning bridges clear to the water, huh? Isn't that the truth? And you know what? It is such an exciting thing to have you back on KDKA. And I, for one, can say for the happiness you brought to me in my life, thank you. We all thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Joyce. And it's always a treat to be on the air with you. Oh, thank you. Well, you know what? We end every show with a quote. Uh, And today, it just has to be Mr. Rogers, since we've been talking about Pittsburgh so much. And he said, there are three ways to ultimate success. The first way is to be kind. The second way is to be kind. And the third way is to be kind, said Fred Rogers. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at Voice America. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.